Welcome to Podcast Homilies for Morning Prayer. I'm Father Ron Shibley, founder and director of the Anglican Internet Church. This new series is part of the AIC's continuing celebration of its second decade on the web. These podcast homilies for morning prayer are based upon the appointed psalm readings in the list of psalms and lessons on prayer book pages X to XLI, primarily using the first pairing, which always includes a gospel reading as the second lesson. These second or third pairings of psalms and lessons are used only where necessary to avoid repeat reading of the same psalms in this series. Other variations from these general guidelines are pointed out in individual podcasts. Each podcast homily in this series includes a full reading of the text of the appointed psalm or psalms, followed by commentary on key words, phrases, and concepts. Special attention is paid to examples of the study discipline of Christology, which is looking for examples of or references to Christ in the psalms. Since Jesus so often quoted from it in the Gospel accounts, the book of Psalms is often called Christ's prayer book. Each of these podcast homilies includes summary commentary on the first and second lessons appointed in the lectionary. Listeners to these podcast homilies are strongly encouraged to visit Father Ron's blog, a page on the AIC website, which is accessible using the tabs at the top and the bottom of any page. For this podcast, I've posted a single illustration for the third Sunday after Epiphany, this time of Psalm 43 from the Bohun Psalter and Hours. Two further points of technical interest before I proceed to the psalm text. First, since many of the images are derived from the Vulgate Bible, I take this opportunity to explain the difference in numbering between the Vulgate translation and the English system. In the Vulgate version, based upon Jerome's 4th century translation, which became the official Bible of the Roman Catholic Church in the 16th century, Psalm 8 and Psalm 9 are a single psalm. This has the effect of making all the psalms between Psalm 10 and Psalm 150 off by one number. For example, Psalms 42 and 43 are Psalms 41 and 42, respectively. A second issue presented here for those listeners not familiar with Anglican worship is that the texts of the Psalter in the 28th Book of Common Prayer are not the same as either the Vulgate or the Psalms in the King James Version. The Book of Common Prayer translation, used since the first English prayer book in 1549, is derived from Miles Coverdale's Great Bible of 1539, which was the first official Bible in English commissioned by the Church of England. By the time the King James Version, published in 1611, Using a new translation based on the Hebrew Masoretic text, Coverdale's translation from 1539 had been heard and was familiar to English listeners for over 70 years, so that the prayer book's editors decided to retain Coverdale's text. All other scripture in the Book of Common Prayer uses the 1611 King James Version. 
Coverdale provided a helpful transition between the Old Vulgate and the prayer book version by including each psalm's opening words in Latin, and these still appear at the beginning of each psalm. For more on the season of Epiphany, including its history and how it is celebrated in the Anglican worship tradition, watch our seasonal video series Epiphany, the Manifestation of Christ to the Gentiles, presented in three episodes. Podcast versions of the video series are linked from the podcast archive page at www.anglicaninternetchurch.net. The psalm reading appointed for third Sunday after Epiphany is Psalm 42, paired with Psalm 43. Psalm 42 is a 15-verse psalm attributed to the sons of Korah. In the Septuagint translation of the Old Testament, traditionally abbreviated LXX, symbolic of the 70 scholars who are assumed to be its author translators, it is combined with Psalm 43. The first words of the psalm in Vulgate Latin are quemad modum. Like as the heart desireth the water brooks, so longeth my soul after thee, O God. My soul is a thirst for God, yea, even for the living God. When shall I come to appear before the presence of God? My tears have been my meat day and night, while they daily say unto me, Where is now thy God. Now when I think thereupon, I pour out my heart for myself, for I went with the multitude and brought them forth into the house of God. In the voice of praise and thanksgiving among such as keep holy day, why art thou so full of heaviness, O my soul? Why art thou so disquieted within me? O put thy trust in God, for I will yet thank him which is the help of my countenance and my God. My soul is vexed within me. Therefore will I remember thee from the land of Jordan, from Hermon and the little hill. One deep calleth another because of the noise of thy water floods. All thy waves and storms are gone over me. The Lord will grant his loving kindness in the daytime, and in the night season I will sing of him and make my prayer unto the God of my life. I will say unto the God of my strength, Why hast thou forgotten me? Why go I thus heavily while the enemy oppresseth me? My bones are smitten asunder as with a sword, while mine enemies that trouble me cast me in the teeth. Namely, while they say daily unto me, Where is now thy God? Why art thou so vexed, O my soul? And why art thou so disquieted within me? O put thy trust in God, for I will yet thank him, which is the help of my countenance and my God. Psalm 42 is the first psalm of the second book of the Psalms, and is also the first of eight psalms going through Psalm 49 that are attributed to the sons of Korah. There is no difference here between the interpretation in the Eastern and the Western Church traditions. Both see the opening verses of Psalm 42 as representing the yearning of the soul for union with God, another word for which is salvation, meaning to become right with God. Eastern theology, since the writings of St. Athanasius in the 4th century, calls this union deification or theosis, 
meaning aspiring to become more like God. The thirst of the heart, a kind of deer, who pants for water in verse 1, resembles the soul of the faithful, which even in the face of adversity longs after God. Under pressure from the ungodly, who move him to tears in the daytime and taunt him, where is now thy God, in verses 3 and 13, the psalmist sings or prays at night unto the God of my life, in verse 10b. In spite of questioning why God allows the ungodly to oppress him, in verse 11, he maintains his faith, offering advice to those in need. O put thy trust in God, for I will yet thank him, which is the help of my countenance and my God. The refrain in verses 7 and 15 appears again in Psalm 43, verse 5. And for those of you who are familiar with our bookstore publications, there is an illustration of Psalm 42 from the Stuttgart Psalter that shows the image of the troubled soul, and you'll find that in our newest book, the Prayer Book Psalter Picture Book Edition, which is planned for publication during Epiphany season in 2023. The second psalm reading for third Sunday after Epiphany is Psalm 43, a short six-verse psalm also attributed to the sons of Korah. Its first words in Latin are Judica Medius, or judge me. Give sentence with me, O God, and defend my cause against the ungodly people. O deliver me from the deceitful and wicked man, for thou art the God of my strength. Why hast thou put me from thee? And why go I so heavily while the enemy oppresseth me? O send forth thy light and thy truth, that they may lead me, and bring me unto thy holy hill, and to thy dwelling, and that I may go unto the altar of God, even unto the God of my joy and gladness. And upon the harp will I give thanks unto thee, O God, my God. Why art thou so heavy, O my soul, and why art thou so disquieted within me? O put thy trust in God, for I will yet give him thanks, which is the help of my countenance and my God. Psalm 43 is the second of eight psalms attributed to the sons of Korah, probably because Psalm 43 and Psalm 42 were originally one psalm in the Septuagint Old Testament and also in the Hebrew, in some Hebrew manuscripts. Psalm 43 has no inscription. Eastern Orthodox Christian scholars, especially those who seek images of Christ in the Psalter, a study discipline known as Christology, suggests that Psalm 43 is a prayer of Christ offering his light and his truth to the church abroad in the world of the ungodly. Remember here that the season of Epiphany celebrates manifestations of Christ or shining forth into the world. In the modern church, it has also been suggested that Psalm 43 would be a suitable prayer for unconverted Jews on the Day of Judgment. In this view, in Psalm 43, they would ask for salvation in Christ. Other Christian interpretations of Psalm 43, one, lend the psalm a slightly different meaning, where the prayer book Psalter text says, Give Sentence with me, O God, and defend my cause against the ungodly people, or deliver me from the deceitful and wicked man. 
the NKJV text says, Vindicate me, O God, and plead my cause against an ungodly nation. O deliver me from the deceitful and unjust man. The King James text says, Judge me, O God, and plead my cause against an ungodly nation. O deliver me from the deceitful, deceitful and unjust man. All three translations are echoes of the two ways division of mankind found in Psalm 1. First, the righteous or godly, and the second, of those who walk, stand, or sit in the ways of the ungodly or the unrighteous. The prayer book Psalter text of Psalm 1 refers to deceitful and wicked man, unquote, seems to apply to those Jews who did not always honor the Lord. The NKJV and KJV translations, which read deceitful and unjust, suggest that the term applies to all non-Jews, that is, the nations without a relationship with God. Verse 5 on the disquiet among souls is a variation on on Psalm 42, verses 7 and 10. In the Hebrew temple tradition, Psalm 43 was spoken aloud by the Hebrew priest before approaching the altar. Perhaps as a, rem- as a remnant of that tradition, the holy hill in verse 3 could refer to Mount Moriah, or the Temple Mount, where Jews believed that God resided in the temple's mercy seat when he was not on his throne in heaven. Verse 3 is one of the opening sentences for morning prayer in the 1928 Book of Common Prayer. For more on the traditional and Christian, traditional Christian interpretation of these Hebrew ideas, see the entries for Ark of the Covenant on pages 18 and 19, Cherubim on pages 37 and 38, Heaven on pages 105 and 106, Mercy Seat on page 146, and Temple on pages 219 and 220 in our bookstore publication, Layman's Lexicon, a handbook of scriptural, theological, and liturgical terms. The first lesson for third Sunday after Epiphany is Isaiah 41, verses 8 to 10 and 17 to 20, which includes God the Father's assurance to his people that he has chosen them and in verse 20, a prophetic reference to the Holy One of Israel, which is a title of Christ. The second lesson, John 4, verses 1 to 14, is John's unique account of Jesus' encounter at the well of Sichar with the Samaritan woman. The scene is discussed and richly illustrated in our bookstore publication in the New Testament series, The Gospel of John, annotated and illustrated in chapter 4. It is also discussed in episode 29 in our Bible study video series, New Testament Gospels, in the context of the first of several I Am declarations that are unique to the Gospel of John. The closing prayer for third Sunday after Epiphany is an 8th century variation by the Blessed Alcuin of York based upon an original collect from the Gregorian Sacramentary. Alcuin's theme is the Almighty God as the ultimate source of mankind's protection against the dangers of the world. His imagery concerning God's right hand is derived from Psalm 98.2, the psalm reading for Epiphany Eve. 
Almighty and everlasting God, mercifully look upon our infirmities and in all our dangers and necessities, stretch forth thy right hand to help and defend us. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Listeners to this podcast might not know that the Blessed Alcuin of York was the author of the Collect for Purity in the Anglican Holy Communion Liturgy. Alcuin, who had led the palace school at Aachen, the center of Charlemagne's court of the Holy Roman Emperor Charlemagne's court, taught Christianity to Charlemagne and his sons Papin and Louis and other members of the royal household. He was appointed abbot of the Montmontier Abbey at Tours in 796 A.D., a post which he held until his death in 804 A.D. He is credited with perfecting the upper and lowercase Carolingian-style lettering used in many illuminated manuscripts of the Psalter. With Alcuin at his side, Charlemagne was crowned Holy Roman Emperor by Pope Leo III on Christmas Day in 800 A.D., the first Holy Roman Emperor in Western Europe since the sack of Rome in the late 5th century. The coronation marks the beginning of the Carolingian Renaissance in Western Europe. It is called the Carolingian because the name Charlemagne, or Charles the Great in French, translates as Carolus Magnus. Until next time, may the Lord bless and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be merciful to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen. Glory be to God for all things. Amen. This program has been a presentation of the Anglican Internet Church. We invite you to visit our website and make use of its resources at www.anglicaninternetchurch.net.